If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, that'll be our text this Lord's Day as we look to God's Word in regards to what we just sang about as we've worshipped and talked about seeing our Lord face to face. Uh, as you turn there, uh, I want to ask you to continue to pray for our Poland team. Uh, there's a picture, they're about six hours ahead of us, so about four or five in the morning for us this morning. They were there worshipping uh, with Second Baptist Gdansk, and so uh, you can see back of Kim Walker's head there and a few others uh, gathered there in that picture. But things are going well. Uh, both teams have gotten there. They're making their preparations now and they'll begin their uh, vacation Bible school outreach this week. So if you can pray for them, pray that everybody could get good rest. They're visiting in families' homes today after church and then they're making their final preparations tonight and then they begin that outreach tomorrow morning and it'll be a very full week for them. So if you pray for both our team as well as the folks of the church there in Second Baptist Gdansk, we would appreciate it. Uh, as we pray that God would use our church, use their church for his glory to reach many with the gospel. Uh, Matthew chapter 24 is where we are this Lord's Day. If you've been with us in our study of Matthew's gospel, you know that we are now uh, within a few days uh, of the arrest and trial and crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Uh, according to Matthew's gospel, as these things take place, uh, Jesus has given his last public discourse uh, and spoken against the Pharisees and left the temple. And now at this point, the disciples have come to him with a couple of questions. And he is responding to those questions. And so Matthew 24 and 25 are the account where Jesus talks about the last days, talks about his return. And so we're going to continue to look at that this Lord's Day. Let me read the text for us. And uh, then we will talk about what it has to say to us this morning. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 29. This is what God's word says. Jesus said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, for they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to another. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts on its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Who is his master has set him over his household to give him their food at the proper time? 
Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray for our time in God's Word this morning. Sovereign God, we are thankful that You have given us a Word. You've not just given us our emotions to lead us. You've not just given us our conscience to guide us. Lord, You have given us the holy, sacred Word. And Lord, in this Word we find hope. In this Word we find truth. In this word, we find everything we need to lead us to repentance and faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that that's exactly what would happen this Lord's Day as we look now to this passage. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, you know where we are. You know that this is a a response that we are reading to a couple of questions. Uh, At the end of Matthew chapter 23, Jesus had left the temple. He had made a couple of comments about the temple, about the destruction of the temple, about Him coming again. And the disciples then asked Him a couple of questions. Uh, Their questions were, what will be a sign of the end of the age, and how do we know when these things are going to be? They're asking specifically, when is the temple going to be destroyed, and how do we know when you're going to return? And that's what Jesus responds to in Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 24, as we looked last week, Jesus talked about His return uh, would be known by tribulation. There'd be great tribulation. He talked about the last days. And as we looked at that last week, I talked to you about how really the, the phrase last days is referring to the days between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And so when we read about last days, when we say we're in the last days, we're, we're not saying something peculiar or particular about this specific year. What we're saying is from the day that Jesus gave this teaching until the day he returns, those are the last days. And Jesus says that, that those last days would be marked by great tribulation. He says there would be wars and rumors of wars. He said there would be famine and earthquakes. He said there'd be these cataclysmic events in the world, but he says among believers there's going to be great persecution. He says believers are going to die for the sake of the gospel. He talked about the destruction of the temple, and we know that that happened years ago in A.D. 70. In fact, as we look to all those tribulations that Jesus mentions, those things have happened, and they continue to happen. I pointed out last week how just that tribulation of persecution of Christians being put to death for the gospel. We live in a day and age where that is happening more than at any other point in history. Estimates are that between 150,000 and 200,000 martyrs will lose their lives for the sake of the gospel just this calendar year in the world. Jesus said these things would happen. But he also said that among the great tribulation there would also be great triumph. He says that those who are believers those who have repented and placed their faith in Christ, they will be secure until the day of redemption. He says they will endure to the end and they will be saved. He says that the gospel will continue to go to the nations. And that's what we see in our world today. In fact, you can see among those places where persecution is the greatest, where the, the most believers are dying for the sake of the gospel, and those very continents is the same place where the gospel is spreading more than anywhere else. We see Jesus' teaching being lived out. 
In the last days, there'll be days of great triumph. There'll be days of great tribulation. And then he continues to unpack that teaching in helping us to understand a few things and helping us to understand some questions. Questions, for example, like, does the Bible teach there will be a return of Jesus Christ? Does the Bible tell us when that return will be? Does the Bible tell us what we're to do in response? Well, I believe this text we look at today answers all three of those questions, and so I want to walk through that with you. Now, the first question, does the Bible teach about the return of Jesus. Yes, it does. It teaches that Jesus will come back for his people. We see that in verses 29 through 31, where Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, the question may arise, well, when is Jesus talking about here? Immediately after what tribulation? Well, again, look at the context. Think of all the things he's just outlined in Matthew chapter 24. Wars and rumors of wars. The destruction of the temple. Great tribulation. He's saying when all these things happen, there's going to be an immediate moment of Christ's return. We know these things have happened. We know these things are happening. And Jesus is saying then he will return. There will be a very visible, immediate, noticeable return of Jesus. He doesn't say here that it's going to be something hidden somewhere. In fact, he's already spoken against that. He said, if anybody comes to you and says, well, Jesus has already returned, the Messiah is here, he's out in the wilderness, don't believe him. He says that they say it's some secret return, don't believe him. Why? Because look at the events, that they will be not just recognizable. There'll be no way anyone can be confused. Notice what happens here. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its lights. Like the stars will fall from the heaven. Think of Genesis 1. Think of what's happening here in relation to creation. In creation, all these things are being put in place. The stars, the moon, the sun. What is Jesus saying? He's saying when he returns, all of that will be undone. We know this points towards a new heaven and a new earth that Christ says that he will prepare for those who follow him. But there's no way to mistake this. And so we need to understand this, this is going to bring about something. And really it depends on where you sit this morning. Uh, if you are a believer, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if He is your Lord, if you have repented and have faith, then, then this passage should give you and I great hope and great joy. Jesus is coming back for us. That is something that should not just thrill us. That, that is our hope and our joy. You know, for some of you, as we sang earlier, all those songs, all those hymns about that day, that day when we'll be with Christ, that day when Christ returns, that day when we'll go to be with Him. Many of you, you, you were smiling, not, not just in your faces. There, there was a joy that was coming about you as you imagined what that day would be like. And that's what this passage should do for us as believers. We, we should have joy. Because Christ has not abandoned us, He has not left us, He's empowered us with His Spirit, and He is one day returning for us. I remember once, I was a small boy, uh, the town my family and I lived in, the, the, the mall had just opened, and that was the, the real big thing, and so I remember the first time I went with my mother to the mall. I don't remember it because of the stores we went to, I don't remember it because of what we bought, I remember it because I got lost. Uh, at some point, uh, she turned around, and parents, you know how quickly this can happen. I just kind of wandered off somewhere, and she turned back around, and I wasn't there. And, and I didn't know what was going on on her end, but I remember what was going on on my end. Uh, suddenly, as a young boy, I thought, I'm on my own now. <laughs> uh, I'll never find my mother again. 
Uh, I've got to start a life by myself. You know, who knows what was going through my mind? But I saw a security guard there. He saw that I was worried and concerned. And so he took me to the security office. And, and what back then probably felt like years. It was probably a few minutes. Uh, but, but I remember specifically sitting in his office, sitting on a chair in front of his desk, and him being on the phone and putting the phone down and saying, Young man, uh, we found your mother. She's on her way to get you. And, and you know what went through my mind at that point? Uh, it was not how much trouble I was going to be in. It wasn't anything like that. I was just happy. I was just glad because my mother was coming back for me. Christian, how much more joyful should we be in the reality from Scripture that Christ is coming back for us? The Scripture says that He is going to send out His angels. The Scripture says they are going to gather from the four winds, from the corners of the earth, His elect. He is coming back. Christian, that should bring us joy. But you'll notice in this passage, believers aren't the only ones that are mentioned. It also tells us about those who are not believers, unbelievers. It says that, that the tribes of the earth will mourn. I believe that reference is to those who have not placed their faith in Christ. It's a reference to those who have yet to repent and have salvation. It's a reference to those who may be devout in whatever religion that they are a part of. But what it says is that they, upon seeing the return of Jesus will have great despair and great misery. It says that no matter what it was they had worshipped, they will find out they hadn't truly worshipped the one true God. Christian, we need to live with the reality and the understanding of this passage. What this says is that the devout Hindu, upon the return of Christ, will mourn. What this says is that the devoted Buddhist, upon the return of Christ, they will mourn. What this says that, is that those among the billions of people and people groups who have yet to hear the gospel today, Christ returns today, the immediate response will be despair and misery. And friend, that is why we are compelled as believers to go to the world with the gospel. That is why we send people at great expense to other parts of the world to proclaim the gospel. That is why as we are here this morning, we have a team in Gdansk, Poland. You may think, well, Poland, I mean, how bad is that? Poland's a nation of 39 million people, most of whom have no fruit of the gospel in their lives. In fact, statistically, less than 1% of those 39 million profess to be evangelical Christians. That means that millions in that nation will mourn at the return of Christ. It's not just there. You go to where our friends are in Malaysia, you find a, a nation of some 28 million people, and in that nation you find about 185 people groups, and among those people groups you can go down a list and you can see people group after people group after people group with not a few percent, not a few thousand believers, but with zero professing followers of Jesus Christ. And you can multiply Poland and Malaysia over and over and over again. And you will find people who will mourn at Christ's return. And that is why we are compelled to go. Because we believe the Scripture teaches there will indeed be a return of Jesus Christ. And not only that, the second point I've put there in your notes, but that that return is imminent. 
Uh, people often ask the question, well, how do we know when and, and do we know when? And we see every year, it seems, someone comes along and they've got their code, they've got their decoder, they've got their charts. They say, oh, I figured it out and here's when he's coming back and here's when he's coming back. And yet, what does Jesus say is, no, you're not going to know that. But here's what you're going to know. It's going to be immediate and it's going to be sudden. Notice what Jesus says. He gives an example. He says, look at the fig tree. He says, you know what season you're in by the fig tree. When its branches become tender, when the leaves begin to sprout, you know it's summer. Now, I don't know that many of you are fig farmers, so maybe a fig tree is not a great illustration, but many of you are farmers, and many of you can tell me what month we're in, not by looking at a calendar, but by looking at crops, by looking at the harvest. Many of you have talked to me with concerns about the harvest because of the weather this year and because of the heat. And and you know much about these things because you can look to the signs. You can look to the fruit of that plant and you know what's going on. Jesus says, this is how it should be with the end. Christian, we should be able to look and know and recognize there's tribulation, there's triumph. His return is imminent. It has been, it will be until he comes back. And then he says something after that illustration that has created some confusion, I believe, in the church. It says, Truly I say to you, verse 34, that this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Now there are those who are skeptics who look at that verse and say, well, well, there you have it. Bible's not true. Jesus said that He's going to return to this generation. He didn't, so just throw it all out the window. Well, I don't think that's the case and yet I think in our attempts to respond to that sometimes we don't understand the scripture for what it says either I I think it's a pretty simple passage I think specifically here when he says this generation he's talking about that generation I think he's speaking there to to the disciples to those who are living among the disciples in their day and age is saying these things are going to take place in this generation you when he says these things all these things I think he's talking about the stuff we looked at last week, the the tribulation, the triumph. He's saying, listen, you're going to be alive and you're going to see the temple destroyed. You're going to see wars and rumors of wars. You're going to see famines and earthquakes. You're going to see Christians persecuted and killed for the sake of the gospel. These men would be persecuted and killed for the sake of the gospel. They would see wars and rumors of wars. They would experience all these things. Jesus in this passage doesn't say, and then that's it. He's saying, you're going to experience this. So imagine for a second how that affected their mindset. Imagine you're there in the early church. Imagine you were among the disciples and you heard Jesus teach this. Imagine what your day-to-day life is like from there on. You're seeing all these things happen around you. You you know Jesus said, there's going to be these signs, these tribulations, and then I'm going to return you would be living in light of that. And I think that's the point. You see, in the church today, I think sadly we've kind of forgotten this. It's been a long time since the resurrection. It's been a couple thousands of years and it's easy for us to grow weary and think, well, that hasn't happened yet, and maybe it's not going to happen quite yet. And, and we just kind of live, not really even in a limbo, but, but without even considering the reality of what Jesus is teaching here. See, most of us, we think of life in terms of when we're born and when we die, but if you go back and read many Christians in the early church, they would 
think about things in terms of when Jesus was coming back. They, they wrote about that more than they did about their own deaths. Most of them expected to see the return of Christ before they physically died. And yet, now, most of us expect to die before the physical return of Jesus Christ. And yet, I think what Jesus is saying here, is he's saying, you don't know when, you just know what's got to happen. It's the season. It was then and it is now. And as a result, we need to live in light of that. We need to understand that. And yet for many of us, I'm afraid, we've kind of been lulled to sleep. We imagine we've got all the time in the world to do anything. We don't think much of the return of Jesus. One fable that I've read multiple times goes a little something like this. Uh, Satan was there with three junior demons and they were talking about how they could tempt believers and deceive the church. And so one of those junior demons says to Satan, well, I'll just... Convince people that there is no God. Satan said, you may fuel a fool, but you won't fool many with that. And so the, the second junior demon says, well, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll just convince people that there is no hell. Satan says, you, you may not fool many with that, maybe just a few. And so the third one thought for a while and said, I'll convince everybody there is no hurry. Satan said, you will deceive millions. And friends, I think that's where we are as the church today. We, we don't think there's a hurry. We don't think that there's an imminence. We don't think that this is coming. And yet Jesus says, oh, it is coming. And we don't know when. That's not the point. I'm not saying go out and sell all your possessions tomorrow. I'm saying we need to live in light of the physical return of Jesus Christ who is coming back and is coming back suddenly. And that, that should bring us to a question we all need to be ready to answer, a question that I believe every person alive today needs to be ready to answer. And the question is this, and it's the last point I've put there in your notes. The question is, are you, am I ready for Jesus' return? Today. Not next week, not next year, not once you've had everything scheduled and arranged, not once you've gotten to do some stuff and it's okay. Are you ready right now for the King to come back? Because the scripture says that's exactly what he's going to do. And Jesus goes on in this passage to say, it's not about trying to figure out when. It's not about you knowing the day or the hour. We should immediately just turn our heads from those who say, well, I figured it out, I figured it out. Just as much as we should turn our heads to those who say, well, he's back and here's where he is. Jesus says of those people, ignore them. And he says here clearly, you're not going to know the day. You're not going to know the hour. Jesus talks about the, the complexity of that triune relationship, the Father, Son, and the Spirit here, and emptying Himself out and taking on humanity and saying, He doesn't even know at this point. The angels don't know at this point. Only the Father knows at this point. And that is the point. He gives illustrations after illustration. He talks about Noah. You go back to Genesis 6 and 7, you read about Noah. What you find is, is Noah was given very specific instructions about how to build the ark. Noah was given a word from God that, that, that the world was wicked and evil and that, that he was among the only righteous family left. And so God was going to preserve that remnant. God always preserves a remnant. And so Noah builds this ark. He's got all these instructions. But you know what Noah didn't have? God didn't tell Noah when the flood was coming. Now think about that for a second. You're Noah... People already scoff at you. They already mock you. And so now to make it more intense, you've got to build this massive ship. 
calling for a flood to come. Just imagine those conversations. People walking by, Noah, what what are you doing? Building an ark. Why are you building an ark? Because God told me to. So the flood's coming. Well, when's the flood coming, Noah? I, I don't really know. God didn't tell Noah when the, ark, when the flood was coming. And there's such an illustration there to this. God has prepared the ark for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's called us to repent and have faith and to do that. But he's not told us when the floodwaters are coming. He's just told us, friends, they're coming. And just like in the days of Noah, people are going to be out drinking and eating and getting married and going about their everyday business. And boom, it's going to happen like that. In a moment. He illustrates it further. He says it's going to be like a man in a field, two men in a field, two women in a mill. In a moment, one of them's gone. He didn't tell us what happens to that one. Either one of them is among the elect who's a believer and they're gathered up by those angels that he sent out to the four winds or one of those is a non-believer and he's gathered them up for judgment. We don't know. We just know there's going to be an immediate physical separation between the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. Not the good people and the bad people. Not the church people and the unchurched people. Those who have been found faithful through Christ Jesus, who placed their faith in Him, who have repented of their sin, and those who have not. Those who rejoice at His coming and those who mourn at His coming. There will be an immediate separation. And we'll talk about that more in future weeks as he goes into more detail. He gives other illustrations here. He says, listen, imagine you're the master of a house and you knew when the thief was coming, what, what would you do? Well, you'd be foolish not to prepare for that thief, not to get ready to defend your house from the thief. So some of you in this room, you've had someone break into your home. You've had someone steal from you before. Some of you were gone. Perhaps some of you were there when it happened. But imagine this. Imagine if someone came to you ahead of time and said, Listen, I know what's about to happen. I know someone's about to break into your home and they're going to take everything you have. Would you respond to them by saying, well, you know what, I've got this vacation planned and it doesn't really matter at all. No. You would sit on the front porch with a gun and you'd be ready. You would prepare. Why? Because you don't want the thief to steal your stuff. Jesus is saying, how foolish would you be to just let that happen But this is the point. We don't know when the thief comes. Jesus says you're not going to know when he's coming. This whole mindset we have of, well, I'm just going to do what I want and live how I want and I'm going to get right later on, it doesn't go with Scripture. I remember vividly a conversation I had. I was a young believer. I was sitting there talking to a friend of mine in college. I had recently become a Christian. He professed to be a Christian, but there was no fruit of it in his life. And so I was just talking to him. I wasn't being judgmental. I was just saying, tell me, tell me, where do you stand with God? And tell me about your relationship with Jesus. And he didn't want to talk about it. He said, listen, Richard, I, I really just, I, I've just kind of put all that in a box on a shelf in my closet. And, and I'm just going to do what I want while I'm in school. And I, I'm going to come back to it one day. I mean, I, I know what the Bible says. I'm going to come back to the church one day. I'm going to get right with God one day. I didn't think about that conversation much until not too long ago when I found out through a friend that shortly after graduation, he died. Friends, we, we don't have to look far in the news to see. You don't know the day or the hour, not just of Jesus' return, but of, of your life. 
I mean, the tragedy in Colorado. You imagine anybody went to that movie theater thinking their life was going to end? Jesus says, you're not going to know the day of his return. And friends, you're not going to know if before then your life expires. You're not going to know. And so we can't play this chess match with God of, I'm going to do what I want, live how I want, and then I'll get ready. No, it doesn't work that way. Jesus says, you need to be ready today. You need to get prepared today. And then he gives a final warning through an illustration. He says, imagine the master who has a servant. And he gives a picture of a wise servant and an unwise servant. The, the wise servant does what he's supposed to do when he's supposed to do it. And yet the unwise servant may manipulate things and think, well, my master's not coming right now, so I can pretty much do what I want. And so he says that he goes as far as to beat the other servants, to eat and drink with drunkards, to very much do whatever he wants. Jesus is giving a picture here of people who do not fear the Master's coming. What is that a picture of? Friends, that's a picture of our world today. Honestly, that's a picture of some churches today. We live like Jesus isn't coming back. And yet the scripture says, oh yes he is. And just like that master, if he comes at a time the servant doesn't expect him, he comes with judgment, he comes with a reckoning. God says there's a reckoning coming for us. Friend, the question for you and me is, are are we ready for that? If you're here this morning and you have spent your life up to this point thinking that you're good works, that your self-righteousness will somehow outweigh your bad works and your unrighteousness and that you're going to stand before God and that it's going to weigh out because you're not as bad as most people. Let me tell you what the scripture says about that. Romans, there is none righteous, not even one. Not even one. Scripture says we are all condemned for our sin. It's not a matter of who's worse than anyone else. It's a matter of we are born with it in our heart. Jesus says if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And yet our hand and our eye don't cause us to sin. Our heart does. And what Jesus is saying, you need a new heart. You need that old, dead, stone heart cut out. You need a beating, live, living heart put in. And that's what the Gospel does. We repent, we acknowledge that we truly are sinners in need of a Savior and we turn from our sin and we turn to Christ and in that repentance, in that faith, we are then just, we are then righteous not because of us but because of Him and what Jesus is saying in this passage is there's going to be a day the ark door is going to be shut and the waters are going to be rising. There's going to be a day in Christ's return we, we are either among the just or we're among the unjust. And there's no getting in the ark at that point. And friends, my question for you today, are you ready for that day? Have you placed your faith in Christ? If you haven't, the scripture tells you it's imminent, it's immediate. Repent and have faith today. I realize that many of you have done that. I think there's a word for you and for me here too. And it's this. Are you just looking back and trusting in that day when you were saved and yet your life shows no fruit of it? Are you living in some limbo thinking that, okay, I'm a Christian now, I'm fine, it's good, I might not be the best, but, you know, I'm I'm doing... Are you living in the reality that Jesus is going to return and there's going to be a reckoning? The Scripture says that if your brother sins against you, you you sin against him, go deal with that immediately? Are you doing that? 
Are you in a relationship with others where if they've wronged you or you've wronged them, you're immediately dealing with it? If not, deal with it today. Because there might not be a tomorrow. And if there is a tomorrow, there might not be a day after that. And that's the point. Christians are not supposed to be people who make a long-range plan for forgiveness or reconciliation. Do it now. Christian, is there an issue in your life, a sin in your life that you're just unrepentant of, that nobody else knows about, but you know about it? God has convicted you of it, but you're just putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. God's Word says deal with it today because we are not promised a tomorrow. My prayer is that that's who we would be, that we would be a people longing and praying for the return of Jesus Christ today. And if not today, tomorrow. And if it doesn't happen tomorrow, the next day and the next. And it doesn't mean you've got to go empty out your bank account or or sell everything you have and stand on a corner and wait. That's not what the gospel tells us to do. If you want to empty out your bank account, great. Go fund the gospel to the nations with it. You want to sell your home? Great. Go move to an unreached people group. The gospel calls us to live in light of the return of Jesus Christ. And you can do that right here where you're at, in Bloomfield, in your place of work, in your family, where you're at today. Turn and talk to your coworker about the gospel. Turn and talk to that family member about the gospel. Go invite that guy down the street to the church. That's what it means to live in the light of the end. Because none of us are promised more than that. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to trust in our emotions to figure this stuff out. We don't have to lean in our own understanding. The scripture says we are to trust in the Lord and not in ourselves. It tells us very clearly this Lord's day that there's going to be a day that you return. It tells us that return is imminent. It could happen in any moment. It could happen before I get done praying. We don't know when. The question isn't that we need to know when. The question is, are we ready when it happens? Lord, I pray for any this morning who's not ready. I pray for any who's yet to place their faith in Christ. I pray they would repent and have faith. I pray for others who are believers, but maybe they're not ready either. I pray they deal with whatever issue it is that you're convicting them of, even now as I pray. And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.